to another episode of Cross Street Coaching. We are into our leadership series where we're talking with coaches and professionals and leaders about what makes them tick, how they learn about their leadership philosophy, so on and so forth, sharing best practices. And with me today, I have Sheriff. Hi, Jason. It's uh, amazing. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, it's good to have you in our virtual studio today. And so let's go ahead and kick this off. Sheriff, how do you like to be introduced? Well, I'm uh, I'm just a dude, you know, who's living in Egypt. <laughs> I've been graduated from um, uh, the engineering school, you know, that was about uh, in 2000, the year 2000. I worked in the domain of uh, electronics and communication engineering and the telecom industry for about 10 years. Uh, um, and then I switched to coaching, development, leadership, development, culture, systemic change. You know, I was totally influenced by how people are treating each other. You know, <laughs> it was, you know, I was, you know, I just, you know, technology to serve people. It has to actually, uh, you know, be put as uh, a tool in the culture, you know, however, the culture itself needed work. So I actually shifted my focus on people and their dynamics, their culture, the systems, you know, and since 2010 until now for 11 years, I've been actually doing systemic work on, across the community, relationships, teams, organizations, and leadership. Over time, I'm learning. And uh, actually, I'm supporting my the organizations and people that I work with to learn more and understand more and discover more about who they are, what they want to do, and align between them both, you know. And this is what's most important to set the dynamics straight and aligned with who you really define yourself to be. Very powerful words. Of course, no surprise coming from a fellow coach here. So talk to me a little bit about what took place 10 years ago. So how did you hear about coaching and how did you decide that's what you wanted to change your career trajectory to? Well, I actually, I, I was always a volunteer since 1995, you know, as, as a youth development mentor. And then I actually worked as an internal coach and trainer inside the organization I worked for. For five years, I've been 2005 to, till 2010. I was an internal coach, assessor, trainer. And I actually found myself more into the social work than actually being a tech geek, you know, <laughs> using project management operations. I was very successful, actually, as, as a leader at that time. I was actually, um, I was in a management position in the first five years of my career. Um, and actually, I led a region, you know, of about 64 countries with, um, with 13 project managers, you know, and actually, I led turnover about 10 million, 10 million USD uh, connections, you know, to be implemented in Orange Business Services. And actually, it was really... Um, I was successful, uh, massively successful at this period of my life and in, in the, te the technical work and in the leadership and everything. Uh, uh, however, I felt the urge. I wanted to serve more the society. And actually it was, you know, I, I feel that there was a wave at that time that was more powerful actually than me keeping a job in an organization. I respect, I love, and I still you know, owe a lot of, uh, you know, um, um, care to, to, to uh, France Telecom Orange Business Services where I was at this time. And actually, however, I, I, I felt that I, I need to spread this more and actually put the practice of the, what I learned through the 15 years of volunteerism and working internally as a coach and trainer to put it in service of the, the, the big society out there. There was a lot actually to work, especially that if we look at the, 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 the states of the Middle East at this time, it was full of silos. 
full of and i was in one of these silos at this moment you know at this moment i was actually inside a multinational organization very secured in terms of job i i'm i'm in a in a good class when it comes to the socioeconomic level in in in, uh, in egypt also and in, in a way i'm also influenced by some you know in, in a socio uh, you know uh, Uh, geo-regional, you know, connections that I'm, I'm, I've been privileged to work with. Uh, and actually, in a way, I was in a silo myself. So I wanted actually to break these silos, mainstream everything, you know, and make it available for the layman out there, you know, and actually uh, support in a way to make uh, the world a better place for my children and those who will come afterwards. <laughs> Yeah. So I think in the States, a lot of people say, oh, well, people change jobs all the time. But as you kind of talked about, you had a pretty secure job. And in the part of the world in Egypt where you were, you had not only a secure job, but you were in a very, very good position set up financially, it sounds like as well. So what does it actually mean in your part of the country to leave a very secure tenure job in a very, very well very well-to-do business fields such as telecom and tech? Well, actually, this is something that for everyone, this was like suicide. <laughs> everybody yeah. was against me. Yeah. My, you know, my family, everybody was seeing that this is something that uh, it shouldn't be happening. And actually, I was, I had a very tough tide that was actually against me. Like I've been resisted by everyone who's around me. Are you crazy doing this? Is it something that, you know, are you leaving a job, a secure job and going for actually to serve, to serve the society, you can serve them while you're in your job, you know, you can do this and that without actually leaving your job. And you have kids, you have, you know, I had four kids at this time and they're all in schools. What are you going to do? You know, I just mm-hmm. told them that it's, it's, it's a mission I have to com- accomplish. And this actually was something that was really overpowering me at this stage. And I, I, I felt it couldn't be done like a part-time thing. I couldn't just do it two or six hours, even a day besides a full-time job, you know, and it's not all about the financial security. Uh, there, there are, there are many other, other things that you need to secure yourself in, like, you know, being in a secure society in a secure mm-hmm. community, you know, this is, this was really a, a higher value and purpose for me. You know, that's it's something that I looked up to, you know, even if I'm going to give up my financial security at this stage, it was more, more important for me to, to live in a secure society and do whatever it takes to have this happening. And actually, I believe that I had my downturns when it came to the financial, you know, status. Mm-hmm. But overall, I'm, I'm there, you know, <laughs> thanks God, I already I've been in places, uh, things that I couldn't have been been in if I was in still doing my full-time job. And I never regretted this, this, this decision by at any means, you know, because I, I was always, I had this, uh, um, you know, invitation to come back again, to work in some organizations, but for temporary project based contracts, you know, and especially in transformations, project management, things related to supporting leaders to, to do some, you know, trans, uh, cultural transformation work. And it was, Yeah, and, and I accepted many of these contracts during this journey, so to secure me financially. Uh, but my main aim and my main purpose, I, I, I'm already in a very good position and shape that couldn't have happened if I, I didn't take this uh, decision uh, 11 years back. Yeah, it sounds like much more, especially in, in Egypt, that taking that kind of jump and making this huge career change 
it has a, a big amount of weight to it, especially if you're not getting support from your friends and family. So when you were just first starting to make that transition to becoming a professional coach into doing this, this type of work, what kept you going when you didn't have money and you didn't have everything secure? And you obviously said, I never regretted it, but did you ever have a moment being like, what have I done? Oh no, is this going to work? <laughs> well, um, well, this, of course, some, sometimes you have this, these down moments when you actually like try to compare what if, what if, you know, like, like if you, if you, if you, if you continued there and what's, what would be your financial position? What would be the security around me, around you, you know, especially that's this change may inspire may, may inspire fear to those the closest to relationships that you you have mm-hmm. you know those who are uh, sub, uh needing support of you because he, here we, we still have that you as a male and you are as a dad you are the financial supporter for the family you don't have this kind of uh, partnership everywhere it's not yet dominant here that you know they have the the co-financial responsibility between you know males and females in the in the family this is not happening so so in a way i'm the only pro- provider for my family and kids so in a way it it made me lose actually <laughs> not not lose yani it it was maybe um a signal that maybe it's um yani I'm, to continue on this road i'll have to actually exchange you know uh energies with different people you know <laughs> because actually in a way uh, it wasn't the the, the securest the most solid you know, place where my ex uh, used, used to, to be. However, I had support, a lot of support from so, uh, some of my family, some of my friends. And I believe even this actually, in a way, it leveled, it, it different, it, it leveled my, my, my friends and sorted out my friends, sorted out my support system. And I never regretted, you know, any, any step I took. Uh, and what I'm learning, you know, especially, especially that I'm learning because I had some, some moments and times I was not conscious to things. And when I'm conscious to them, I'm attending to them, I'm learning and I'm moving forward. So in a way at, at the, at the moment with the consciousness I had, I, I just did awesomely, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like you walk forward with a lot of faith yeah. and it paid off yes. because even though, like you said, you had a lot of people that weren't supportive, you still did have a core group of people that did believe in you yes. and did help you get through it. Yes. Yes. Fantastic. I owe them a lot. So, yeah. 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 So let's that takes us to today. So talk to me about after the last 10, 11 years of, of getting to this point. Mm-hmm. What is Sheriff working on today? Okay. Today, I'm actually um, uh, co-leading the team and group coaching community practice in ICF. This is a, a very honor- honorable position that I'm, I'm in. And it just happened two months ago. And I'm really excited to serve ICF or International Coaching Federation in this position and support the, com- the, the community of team and group coaches around the world to, to understand this modality and work with it. This mm-hmm. is, this is you know, one thing that I'm really very honored and privileged to have. Um, the second thing is actually I'm having uh, the academy, which is Authentic Coaching Academy, which is providing ICF accredited programs. I'm having this systemic coaching program that started back in 2017. And th- this year, actually... We did the renewals and actually having some new enrollments in it. And I'm ha- we're having the new program, which is the team coaching program and group coaching program and the financial coaching program are actually, these are all the fruits of, you know, the systemic, you know, approach of coaching that we started. And still there are some more programs to come in the next few, um, uh, in, the, in the next year and the, the year after having some st- strategic, you know, programs that we are putting some 
uh, R&D focus on. And this is uh, something else I'm work- we are working on. And on the other side, for the business uh, B2B, I'm working on actually providing a program for leadership politics where we can support leadership teams to understand the politics and not shame the politics, you know, <laughs> unshame the politics and the power, you know, uh, and conflicts resolution when it comes to uh, the CX uh, boards, uh, the directors, you know, and, you know, the, the middle management management and above, you know, to understand how to connect with their power, understand how to channel it in, in a very positive way, understand how to deal with conflicts, how to voice out, how to actually disrupt in a very you know, uh, in, in a consensus, you know, in a group collaborative way. So this is where I'm putting my effort these days. Yeah. Yeah. And you call that leadership politics? Yes. Yes. Wow. So I want to dive into that, but one of the things that you've mentioned systemic coaching a few times, and I think that, that some people are familiar with that term, but I'd love to hear from your own words, how you're defining systemic coaching, how that's different from the one-off coaching engagements that maybe most people are familiar with, right? Like, oh, I'm a VP or I'm a business owner and I go get my own business coach and then I go do my thing and I'm a better communicator, but systemic coaching has a, a little bit different philosophy. So do you think you could define that for the listeners? Okay, so uh, I thought, yeah, maybe I mentioned in the beginning that when in 2010, I had something like a calling, you know, it's, it's about, you know, the culture, the people dynamics, how people are handling their connections, their systems, their culture, something in the in-between is, is, is not happening well. <laughs> that makes people mm-hmm. actually become lousy and they don't actually uh, submit their purpose. It's, uh, it's causing silos, it's causing disengagement, causing a lot of conflicts in the community, a lot of, you know, there is something in the in-between, you know, something in the behaviors of people. So this is where, that's what captured my interest. And this is where I started my work, you know, working on the relationships, diversity and inclusion, uh, you know, things related to conflicts. And actually I was doing many things. I was working on families. I was working on the community itself in the, you know, in the community work and service, something like an NGO that we started an initiative that was about dialogue between different people and different you know, uh, political and religious groups in the, in, the, in Egypt here. And uh, um, um, I worked also with the organizations and things that are related to how people, the people, the team dynamics and the culture, the stuff. And, you know, I was doing many things and people were saying, what are you doing, Sharf? Told them it is the same thing. It's the same essence, but here it's called a relationship coaching. Here it's called community uh, support and community service, maybe something related to people dynamics <laughs> and diversity and inclusion. Here it's called culture transformation and behavioral uh, assessment and development. You know, This continued until 2015. For six years, I didn't know that its name was systemic coaching. <laughs> when I met my mentor, you know, I was actually told him, I'm having a very challenging situation that my, my branding is diluted. Nobody really understands what I'm doing, but I know it's connected here. And the practice is the same. It's different contracting. You know, when you contract with, with couples, it's totally different than you con- when you contract in the community and start, you know, the community workshops, you know, facilitation, coaching, you know, starting the dialogues there. And mm-hmm. on the other side, when, when you're doing this in the organizations, it has a totally different way of contracting. And I'm, I'm, I'm excellent at the three of them. <laughs> You know, when I deliver here or there, or there, you know, I'm already delivering in excellence. And actually, he told me this has a name, and it has been there for something like since since the 90s. It's it was it evolved. It's called systemic coaching, and it has its mentors, so and so and so. And here, everything thing made sense. 
you know this Excellent. room this you know this big you know lamp <laughs> this bulb yeah. illuminated yes and actually here uh, i found that most of the people that i was reading for uh, connecting to who are mentoring me who are actually they were you know giving me bits and pieces of a big puzzle that i'm you know, i was actually to connect here it was connected here so i had to reconstruct again all the learnings again in the same methodology that i felt connected from the beginning till the end and this is where i started my research and development for the systemic coaching program that we started in 2017 afterwards so it took something like one year and a half to connect everything and actually connect with the mentors who were working with this and the teachers the gurus around the world who are working on the systemic uh, perspective like you know people in deep democracy process work um, um, Barrett, you know, uh, Gita Bellin, you know, there, there, there are many names that work with this systemic approach. Um, and here I, you know, when, when, when the, the student is ready, the teacher is ready, you know? So mm-hmm. that is where actually, um, uh, I, I, everything made sense. And since then I feel more focused, organized. I know what I want, I, I want, and actually it's totally connected with what I started. Yeah. So since you've been doing this kind of work and you've been able to really put the actual label on a systemic coaching where it's not just these one or two off engagements, but you're looking at the system as a holistic thing and looking at root causes and making sure when you're engaging with all the tools at your disposal, it adds up to something. How has that impacted and changed what you've seen as a result from the work that you've been doing? I mean, has it radically shifted? Are you getting much more, seeing much more better outcomes based on using this approach yeah so talk talk to us a little bit about that well actually in the beginning i was actually in a way uh looking at many things at the same time as if you had the dashboard with many buttons and you are Mm -hmm. trying to toggle everything at the same time you know and you don't have this kind of you know uh, differentiating between different modalities that you're doing. You're just doing anything that ne- that is needed to just make things happen. You know, you're just putting all, all your energy in supporting, you know, sometimes you're consulting, you're outsourcing, you're mentoring, you're, you know, counseling, you're coaching, you're teaching, you're training, you know, everything, <laughs> you're doing everything at the same time, you know, just, you just want it to happen, you know, just <laughs> pushing everything to, yeah. yeah. And the police, um, a referee, marriage counselor, <laughs> everything. Uh, yeah, all of no. it. So in a way, you know, this was very confusing to the clients, very confusing to, to me, actually very energy draining because you're doing many things that are not acknowledged, not, you cannot even price yourself because you're not benchmarked against something that's really materialistic. Nobody else in the market was really doing all of this at the same time. So you're either assessing, you're consulting, you're coaching, and I'm, you're doing all of this in, in one, in one bunch, you know? Mm-hmm. So in a way, the, the understanding, you know, the methodology, the, 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 the name systemic coaching and understanding the systemic work with, with different modalities, you know, like different, this is facilitation, this is training, this is consulting, this is assessments, this, this is coaching. And this is, and these all can be connected in orchestrated in a design of, a, you know, of a leadership development program or maybe an organization development program it made contracting make a lot of more sense it made the value more shiny you know when you connect to you understand the roi of each and every activity and how they connect and you can explain to the client actually the engagement accountability where everything so so the, the design of the solution the maturity of how you offer it how you contract how you actually engage the clients how you explain your service 
now you can put it in in a method you know in something you know that's that makes sense to others not only to yourself so uh, yeah yeah thank you for for clarifying that and kind of painting that picture i think a lot of people can are after what you're talking about but it becomes really hard like you said they get kind of lost in the this thing and this thing and this thing and the short orderness of it but i love this the idea of systemic coaching. And I've gotten a, a couple of those books on systemic coaching that try to say, like, what does this all add up to? And I love how you framed it into definitely leadership development. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we are talking about leadership um, in this series. And so I'd love to kind of hear you mentioned that you're working on a very specific like political leadership. You know, tell us a little bit about how what you've been working with on leaders and you know, what are some of your observations as of late? You know, being from the, my background is mostly technical and most mm-hmm. of my network are engineers and technology geeks, uh, managers, leaders. So 80% of my clients are basically in the technology industry, engineering, you know, this stuff, because actually, basically these are the people that, you know, easily relate and connect with me and this stuff. It's something, you know, you cannot help, you know, <laughs> the energy exchange in the market, you know, and how people are actually looking at you. It comes from your background, you know, they, 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 that's, that is something that you cannot help, you know? So in a way, most of the technology leaders that I'm working with, um, um, you know, they, there, there, there is a common theme in the technology industry in the Middle East, and maybe it is in some other parts of the world also. And it's not only in the Middle East when I'm asking around the region, you know, internationally, it is almost more or less the, 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 the things are, mostly the same when it comes to the fact of people really are very focused on the technical delivery very focused on getting things done in a good way rarely you find leaders who can actually voice out their opinions in a in a very appropriate manner without actually having this sense of that i did did i really do get this uh, opinion rights did i do the you know th- there is sometimes th- there is lack of political intelligence when you come to middle management and above you know how you handle yourself ha- how you handle your power how you you know uh, lobby for your opinions how you actually accept being mistaken at some time and giving in to one of your you know the co-leaders this is associated with shame associated with you know um lack of recognition of power so in some case in most of the cases and most of the leaders that i worked with are having a challenge in conflicts itself you know appraising conflicts related to the organization strategy and well-being they they can voice out when it comes to defending their technical product or their technical line of work or their you know so they stay they stay they say they stay there you know they just you know when 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 a leader is just stuck with his deliverable Normally, he doesn't outgrow his level or, you know, because actually this is your product or the service that you're providing is boxed in this place. So you will always be the leader of this place. So your Mm -hmm. limits or the the ceiling of your growth as a leader would be always associated with the quality of the product that you're putting. It's not associated with understanding the organization strategy, how you fit in with the other functions, you know, how you collaborate with others. You are just a doer, but in a very high position. You understand what I mean? Absolutely. So in a way, uh, um, the, the next level of development here to step up, you know, to the a board level, to actually to connect with CXOs, to connect with other functions in a healthy way, 
you have to speak their language. You have to actually connect with them empathetically. You can actually you have to understand as their, their stakeholder mapping. You have to actually accept to be mistaken at some times, but actually ask questions in a curious way and open, you know, conversations. You have to build trust on you as a human being, not just as a doer and a fixer of technical things. So in, in a way, this, this is, you know, this is where I take leaders from just being, you know, the technical managers into the leadership board, you know, so building better conversations, connecting, seeing the political map, you know, you know, dissociating from shame, guilt, so, you know, this kind of, 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 uh, of need to be always perfect. You know, this is something that's, that's always driving technology leaders, you know, or engineers, you know, that they have to get things right. And it's really good for them because actually it's good for the products, good, good for the, so when it comes to the technical decisions, but not always for the organizational decisions, organizations can do mistakes, but actually products have always to be <laughs> safe mm-hmm. and safe and with the, with the least possible errors that we can, you know, that people can actually encounter because actually it's uh, sometimes lives are at, are really at risk, you know, when it comes to the quality of products. So, yeah, what is so interesting is that even though there are very specific cultural aspects to what you're talking about in Egypt and in the Middle East, I think that m- many people that come from a technical background or have an engineering mind or very specific subject matter expertise have very similar problems, which is they get so invested into the work and they love having this very high quality product that when it comes to leadership, that can be very elusive because it's not as concrete as a product where a product is either it's working, it's right, or it has problems in leadership has so many components. And I'm really curious when you mentioned that that there's the emotional aspect, not just that they're not effective communicators, but they feel guilt and shame. And so can you talk a little bit about what the experiences of leaders over in in Egypt, when you're starting to identify that there is, it's not just that they don't know how to communicate feedback, but that there is an emotional component that they're experiencing. I mean, is that well-received or is that very complex? Yes, actually, uh, in a way, you know, uh, um, the, the, you know, this complexity of the nice guys, you know, this kind of, you know, that they're really good when it comes to challenging the technical aspects of the product, talking about, you know, they're very fierce, forceful, you know, they're very actually, when it comes to talking about the engineering work, they're really, you know, top dogs, you know, they're actually, they, they can actually just cut each other out. You know, it's, it's okay to conflict here because it's, we're talking technical and this is okay in our culture, but when it comes to people and their dynamics, their engagements, how they feel, how they connect with them, uh, they're, so, they, they try to play the nice guy, you know, they sometimes in, in, in this place, they don't actually acknowledge their emotions. They don't show their vulnerability in a way. They feel guilty when somebody is actually not good with them, you know, uh, actually don't like them. They, they always have this urge of being liked mm-hmm. and to be perfect, you know, and this is always happening as protectors for those who are actually subordinating them or the, the, the organization. However, with the other managers and the other, you know, leadership boards, you always have this shame of talking about the business aspects, asking about the strategy, ask, talking about financials in a very open manner, you know, they're just, you know, asking what is relevant to the product and, you know, the production, the engineering parts. 
mm-hmm. but they don't ask for it for, for people maybe uh, exchanging experience, uh, talking about the strategy, exchanging, ex- you know, challenging what the strategy is, uh, doing intelligence work and maybe voicing it out and seeing what's the feedback, you know, when it comes out of, you know, the product and it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's quality or the service that is provided. They, they normally just shut down on who they are and how they can contribute and just leave this to others, you know, and this may come from the fact that for some, for some moments they were rejected. They, uh, maybe they tried and they, uh, they felt stupid or they were actually blamed. So they don't try again. Mm-hmm. This is where the guilt and shame comes in that they don't like to be misliked or to put, be put in embarrassment in areas that they don't understand in, or they were shut off. What instead of maybe learning and maybe trying again and again, and maybe putting themselves out there, you know, in vulnerability and maybe, you know, understanding how to conflict around things that actually are people oriented, culture oriented and this stuff, they, they, they shut off and just stop asking, stop uh, conflicting, you know, so in a way they, 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 they are powerless when it comes uh, to beyond the product itself and the service that they are responsible for. So you're working with leaders and you're identifying, you're helping them kind of create awareness about what's actually taking place inside them and maybe why this is occurring or some of the, the kind of factors that are at play. And once you get them to recognize that this is what's happening and they're minimalizing themselves and they're only talking about product and they're not acknowledging what's happening internally, what is it that you start doing as a coach to start moving them to action, to actual behavioral change? So the first thing that we we do that, what if you were the owner of this organization, what are the first decisions that you will take? Okay. And actually understanding from the conflicts, you know, this is where they start. And then we come back again and see what are the nature of the current conflicts that they are having. Mm-hmm. And we create a generic team, you know, that's, of course, after having this 360 feedback or getting some interviews and understanding the fact finding, doing some assessments, you know, to, to understand where they are currently, you know, when it comes to how systemically they're positioned in the organization, what is expected from them, what are the areas that they need development in. So in a way, we, we create conversations about, you know, uh, the nature of conflicts that they're having, the understanding what their leadership owns, understanding the strategy, how where it's going, understanding the stakeholder maps around them, working deeply in, you know, connecting, you know, uh, being empathetic towards themselves and empathetic towards the organization itself and the other leaders, understanding who wants what in the organization, you know, by these empathy maps. And then, you know, if you want to, what, what, how to play ball, you know, <laughs> how to, yeah. uh, to create a teamwork with somebody who's really away from your domain, you know, this, this salesperson, the marketing person, you know, the HR, uh, you know, they're, they, they, they are there to actually to connect. They're doing their role and they're having different objectives. You have to respect and you have to connect your objectives to their objectives and see how you can actually make, you know, support them to meet their objectives while you're meeting your objectives too. So how to create a conversation where there's a win-win and negotiate, you know, and bargain, you know, and actually sometimes where, where you need to lobby, you know, for, you know, on, for some, and how to play a uh, ball when it comes to power plays that may happen and you're part of it, 
and you have to join here. You know, you don't ask for war, but you're actually sometimes you're called for it and you have to be ready and prepared, you know, because some people really want to play politics and want to play, you know, uh, in a way and in, in a different ethical code or something like that. So just be prepared and just, you know, set yourself up, voice yourself out, how you can actually hold yourself in, in such a conflict in a good way, in a positive way, and actually look at the organization of obje- objectives and strategy and, you know, uh, do what is best for the organization. It's not about you, not about the world you're in. It's about the organization meeting its objective. Yeah. Have you had a lot of success really trying to get at this transformational, like creating this awareness and using a lot of these tools to really kind of pinpoint some of these root causes? You know, have you seen some successful transformations of leaders using this yes. approach? Yes. Yanni, uh, thanks God. Yes, this happened about. And this is where I started you know, this program because it was based on the successes I had before, you know, mm-hmm. uh, some of them were just executive coaching with, uh, you know, a leader, you know, that I worked with alone, you know, this, you know, but after understanding, you know, the stakeholder requirements in, the, in this executive coaching assignment, some of them were team coaching assignments, you know, it was clear. some of them were culture transformation projects and they all yield, you know, they, they had a common theme where the leader was more engaged with the, you know, the, and he was transformed from a technical manager into a leader in, in the organization who was connecting with the leadership board and team. Mm-hmm. And the common theme was always, you know, how you connect this person with his emotions and showing vulnerability, you know, detaching from the shame, connecting with others, you know, and how to, you know, take chances into exercising your power in a healthy way, in a collaborative way inside your organization. And this is where, voila, everything shifts. Yeah. And I think you really captured it when you talk, and this is something that uh, that I share a lot with the clients that I work with as well, which is the kind of the term manager and the term leader, and that those are not necessarily automatically the same. Yeah. And someone can manage because that's their role and because they have that technical expertise, but to actually lead and to lead people requires a different set of skills than what got you to that position. So I'm, I'm all about that. Thank you, Jason. And I believe, uh, you know, there is something that in, as a technical manager, he wouldn't have reached the top of the organization or his pyramid unless he has a technical leadership skills. Mm-hmm. But what took him there will not take him into the board leadership skills. Agreed. So in a, for, for the technical people, for the engineers, he is, he is a leader, but he is a technical leader. He's a person who can lead products to, to come and lead teams, technical teams to get their business going. But he cannot lead business teams. He cannot lead strategy. He cannot actually, he's, you know, he's in a way, what they call it, he has some, he's impotent when it comes to adding to the organization strategy. And mm-hmm. this is where potency, competency are, is coming, you know. This is the yeah. new competency that will take him into being a board member, a challenger, a polit- you know, a, you know that that will connect actually with the the organization leaders to to come up with brilliant new ideas and disrupt where the organization is going. Yeah, that short term victories certainly serve people right to feel really confident when they are managing things like they're managing product. But there is always this limitation, and as you kind of put it, I mean, most people can't see what we're doing on video, but you're you're kind of drawing this line above your head, a ceiling that yeah. limits how far they can go. And you just called out several of the type of areas that that you will never get by over relying on your subject matter expertise. Yes. 
Okay. Well, Sheriff, this has been an awesome discussion. And tell me a little bit, one of the things I like to ask all my guests is, you know, you're doing all this heavy lifting for your clients. How do you take care of yourself as a coach doing this fantastic work? Well, uh, thanks, Jason, for this question. And actually, you know, uh, since before COVID a little bit until maybe one month back, (laughs) I I may tell because of the changing situations that were happening, you know, we needed a lot of agility, resilience, responding to, you know, the the variables, you know, uncertainty, complexity of what's happening, you know. In a way, I was seen and perceived as one of the most resilient, you know, leaders in my domain. But actually, I, I had, but it came on the expense of me getting burned out. So in a way, this is, since one month, I'm seek, seeking therapy in this, and I'm working on on taking some poses and breaks, putting some you know pedals of you know just breaks because I'm, I've been for two years almost I didn't break. So now now I'm I'm starting to take care of, uh, of myself. And some positive boundaries. Yes, yes, and in a way, uh, you know, it's it's I'm starting to feel, you know breathing again and maybe when i started slowing down everything you know is is the universe is responding to me and you know in in a better way you know in a way i feel that i'm receiving a lot of good things that i may not have been seeing when i was running you know so in a way i I, i'm just taking care of myself these days by having more poses uh, and sitting in the place of receiving more than giving and actually trying to work out things, you know, things that can be t- taken care of while you're just relaxing in your, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I like the term sabbatical these days. <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to take my Sabbaths these days, you know, so, <laughs> and I'm putting some disclaimers, you know, when it comes to my, my weekends and my, my, my rest time, you know, that I really need to have this, Sabbath for myself, you know, this, this is something I'm really working on. So, so taking care of myself is about these days is putting some breaks and having, and smelling some roses, you know, (laughs) wise words. I think we can all relate there. So excellent. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? If they'd like to connect with you after this episode? Uh, Well, the best uh, uh, place where they can connect with me is LinkedIn. Uh, Mm -hmm. My profile is linkedin.com slash I N slash M Sharaf Eldin, M S H A R A F E L D I N, and actually the the best place to connect me is is uh, my my LinkedIn profile. Uh, if you don't have LinkedIn, so it's my my website. It's sharafeldin.me or authenticcoachingacademy.com. These are my current active websites that people are actually connecting with me on at this at this moment. And um, um, I'm, I'm totally welcome anybody who wants to actually take, uh, make use of my service by any means. <laughs> well, we will have links to that and all the other references in the show notes as always. Sheriff, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jason, for this amazing interview. And really, you let me see things in a different way. I believe that this, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. Glad we had it. And until next time. <laughs>